0: My friends, would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's Word this morning? This morning, um, we are in Psalm 15. Again, let us listen to the Lord's Word. It's the Psalm of David. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. Amen. Would you bow with me again, friends? Uh, Would you please be seated and we will pray. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for this day, for your word, and pray that your blessing be upon your servant and upon these your people, that you would give us ears to hear what is said and keep us from hearing things that aren't said. We ask that you would protect us from the evil one, and we pray, in fact, O oh Lord, that not only you'd protect us from us, but uh, from him, but you would um, advance your kingdom and your glory and cause damage to his kingdom, and that you would set captives free. Thank you again for your love for us, for your word. and We pray, O Lord, that you will be honored and that we, your people, will be blessed for having heard and met with you. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm increasingly alarmed by the new morality we find in our society and even in the Lord's church that has crept in. We have come to esteem things over and against what the Word of God says. So being authentic or real or true to yourself uh, becomes greater than being obedient to God's Word. We should expect this from the world. Indeed, we can expect this in the world, but we ought never to expect it from the Lord's church. Being nice or good people is now the in thing, and being righteous and godly is. It's yesteryear. Uh, Some might say it's even the wrong side of history. Um, Not about anymore being a Christian, but now everyone is spiritual. Everyone talks about God. And notice how precious few speak about Jesus Christ. We're spiritual. That's the new thing, right? We've come back into spirituality but a designer spirituality, a spirituality that does away, jettisons Jesus Christ, because that's awfully narrow. That's awfully, that's too, too narrow for people to hold on to. So the precious few speak about Christ. Second Timothy 3 speaks about this, that they hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. According to some, no matter who you are or what you believe, whatever your preference is, everyone ends up ultimately getting to heaven. It's universalism. Because you're a fantastic person, and, and God's just got to take you. Because you're a good person, um, you belong in heaven, except nobody's defining what it means to be good anymore. It's just as if you're true to yourself. If you're authentic, um, you're, a, you're a citizen bound for heaven. I once heard a man say this, and I believe this is right. He said, good is not good enough to enter heaven. What we've done with spirituality, what we've done with Christianity, we've just watered it down, and we've said it's a certain amount of things that we do, a certain amount of things that we say. It might even be just a prayer that we offer up. And so if you do these things, these set standards, everything's going to be good with you, and you will enter into heaven but good is not good enough to enter into heaven, to be in the presence of the Lord. Here in Psalm 15, David instructs the Old Testament church that only the righteous may abide with the Lord. Only the righteous may enter into the presence of the Lord. And so David, there's really just three sections here in this psalm. There's verse 1, and there's verses 2 through 5b, and then there's the very tail end of verse Five, three sections, and David starts with this wonderful question. And and as we go into this, I want to say that the temptation for all of us will be to start thinking about everyone else as the psalm is read, as the psalm is preached. This psalm is not for you to look across the aisle or to think this or that. This psalm is for each of us to take inventory of our lives. It's for us to examine ourselves ourselves. It's like the mirror that you stood before this morning, to look in that mirror and say, that's out of place, this is out of place, this needs to be brushed, combed, cleaned, whatever it is. That's what this word, the word of God, does. And so as we go into it, examine yourself in light of this. Again, David asks this wonderful question. He says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Again, he's addressing the Lord, the covenant name by which God himself made himself known to Abraham and to Moses. It's his covenantal name. It is the word of the Lord that came to Abram in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abraham received this promise that God himself would be his God and a God to his descendants and that we would be his people what does it mean to abide why does he say why does he ask who may abide in your tent my friends it's in the Lord that we find life it is in the Lord that we find blessing it is in the Lord that we find peace it is in the Lord that we find joy nothing of of which this world can, can compare in the Lord, there is no strife. In the Lord, there is no disease. I'm speaking, of course, in glory. In the Lord, there is no death. There is no sweeter place, no safer place uh, than we can be than with the Lord. And certainly the church itself ought to be a reflection of this. He asked this question, who may or what kind of person may come before you may dwell in your presence friends, the psalmist is not interested in the tent or the hill. It's not the tent that's so special. It's not the hill that's so special. But it's who's associated with the tent and who is associated with the hill. Just like it's not the church, but it's who's associated with the church that makes it stand out. Right? Who's associated with the church? I hear sometimes people speak about heaven and how eager they are to see streets of gold or to have their mansion. And I'm lost when I hear people talk like that. Because what's the joy of heaven? It's to be with the Lord himself. That's the joy of heaven. I don't care if the roads are glassy gold or if they're tar. I mean, I don't think they're going to be tar. Um, but the point is, is that what makes heaven so desirable is that we know that it'll be the complete opposite of what we see here on earth. Everything that is foul, that is weeded, that is broken and bruised is replaced and we are with the Lord and it'll be a wonderful joy. So when David says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your hill? He's asking about the Lord. Now, he doesn't just walk into a tent like he's a boy scout or or on a hunting trip the tent itself is the Lord's tabernacle this is about the worship who who may what place might the Israelite have in order to go in to worship the Lord his God what does or should one expect in the presence of the Lord and this is why it's so important that you understand verse 1 in comparison with the remaining verses what's David actually asking here Who steps into a tent with the God of Israel? Who do you think he is? Do you think he's small? Do you think he's a lightweight? He's like the old guy at Walmart handing out stickers to your children? Listen, listen, Exodus 20 verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Turn with me over in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. We sang about this earlier in Holy, Holy, Holy. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. Listen. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He cries out, woe is me, I stand condemned. And he hadn't even spoken yet. He was just standing there in the presence of the Lord. He saw the Lord in his glory. And what, is, what becomes of him? He becomes like he's undone. Just like the people who stood at the base of Mount Sinai and they trembled and they said, Moses, don't let him talk to us. You go talk for us. You go talk to him. We can't bear the sight. The writer of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. And Isaiah would later write in Isaiah 33, 14, Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless who among us can live with consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? Who may come and who may abide in, in the Lord's presence to worship him? My friends, it is not the casual do-gooder, the man or the woman who is half-hearted, who does this two or three times a year and has his empty rituals. It is not the people who claim in our country I'm authentic and I'm sincere and I really mean what I'm doing. That doesn't cut it. It does not cut it. And this is always the arrogance of Americans is that we think I should be able to do whatever I want whenever I want to be able to do it and then it should be acceptable to God. That doesn't cut it with the Lord. The Lord's righteous standard is unyielding. It's unbending. And it exposes the sin, our sin, for what it is. David writes this in Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The Lord commanded sacrifices, but he did not command rote sacrifices. He commanded sacrifices that should be an overflow of broken hearts over sin. That was the kind of sacrifice that was acceptable to the Lord. So, David's question, O oh Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? My friends, it is the righteous man who may dwell in the presence of the Lord. It is the righteous man. Listen again to verses 2 through 5b. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart, he does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. There are 10 conditions here that David writes about, positive and negative conditions, which are not exhaustive, but rather covering of every facet of the moral life. One commentator suggested that uh, this tenfold structure suggests the teaching context of the wisdom school. Young people were being instructed to tick off, as it were, on their 10 fingers, the moral conditions that were prerequisite to participation in worship. And that very well may be. But the caution to these things that I would offer up is be careful of that mindset that says do these things rather than be these things. The doing these things versus the being these things. I hope it will become clear. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man, they are not to be thought of as a checklist, but rather a heart check. David is getting at the heart of the matter as the Lord himself has said. Jesus said that it was from the heart that evil thoughts and murder and adulteries and fornications and thefts, false witness and slanders would come forward. And here David gives a list of ten behaviors and attitudes that characterize the person who is welcome into the Lord's worship, and we would say who is welcome into heaven, into eternity in the presence of the Lord worshiping him. There are ten. Five are positive and five are negative, and they alternate. And so we go through these briefly, and notice they don't mesh with the new morality of the nation around us. This is what makes the church such a wonderful thing, my friends. And, and you know this new morality. It's, it's what we called a few years back being woke, and now it's DEI or it's ESG. It's all these other things. If you want to do this, and it's crushing in on the church, and the church is buying into these things. But that's not what the Lord says. That's not, that's not who dwells. I hold the ESG. I should be able to go into the tent of the Lord. No. No. Examine yourselves through these things as we go through them. Who may abide in the tent? He who walks with integrity. This individual is blameless, free from evil. He is whole, without sham or fakery or deception. His life is characterized by a wholeness. Psalm 24.4 speaks of clear hands or clean hands and a pure heart unlike the Pharisees of whom the Lord said woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness so you too outwardly appear righteous to men but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness who may abide in the tent of the Lord he who walks with integrity second he says he who works righteousness It's fundamental to, to Old Testament morality, the Ten Commandments. This man is not doing what he feels. That which he has determined should be acceptable to God. This is good enough. Lord, take it. Um, but rather, he, he's pursuing not his own happiness, not his own self-fulfillment, but is pursuing what is right as God himself has determined what is right. Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Third, he says, he speaks truth in his heart. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another, said Zechariah. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. This man speaks truth in his heart. He holds to reality concerning others and circumstances and not simply what he wants to hold to or to believe. He is not creating an alternate reality, which we find all the time in the news, people creating an alternate reality despite the facts. This man will not put up with an alternate reality. He says he speaks truth in his heart. Ephesians 4.25, Paul exhorts the church, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The next three characteristics are negative. The fourth says, He does not slander with his tongue. To slander means to go around, to, to spy things out, or to spread them abroad, to accuse someone of something false. If you will listen and, and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 50. We read this in verses 16 through 20 concerning the wicked. But to the wicked God says, What right have you to tell of my statutes and to take my covenant in your mouth? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was just like you. I will reprove you and state the case in order before your eyes. The man who enters into the presence of the Lord is not like this wicked man. The righteous man abides with the Lord. He does not slander with his tongue. He says, he, nor does he evil, do evil to his neighbor. He does not look to harm his neighbor in any way. Rather, he looks out for him. And six, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He does not dig up or search out garbage, bad things in in another's life. To say to him, see, or look at you, or aha, I've caught you. It's not what he does. The man who would abide with the Lord is one in whose eyes, David continues, A reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. These two go together, two sides of the same coin. It is addressing his attitude towards those who perpetually do evil. He hates evil, and he does not desire to get mixed up with those who do and who practice evil. Rather, he honors those who fear the Lord. He desires what is good and what pleases the Lord and those who are like that. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Next, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. He is honorable. He makes a promise either in marriage or membership or some other promise, and even if it results in harm to him personally and not another, he does not change his mind. He is not what the world would call flaky. He follows through with it. He is a man of his word. Again, he says he does not put out his money at interest. The Israelite could charge interest to the foreigner, but not to his brother, the fellow Israelite. The problem was, and we saw this down in Miami, uh, during the hurricanes, was that money would be loaned to somebody in need and others who would loan the money would get rich off of those in their unfortunate circumstances and they would take advantage of another for whom they should be caring. This man will not do that. He does not put out his money at interest. Next he says, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Very simply, Exodus 23.8 says, you shall not take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just. He is not looking out for himself, but for others. In summary, friends, he is what you see. He does what the Lord wants. He's truthful, doesn't look to harm others in word or deed. He loves right, hates wrong, gives his word before God, keeps his word that he has made before God and helps others, and doesn't pervert justice. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 13, as we read verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the person who may enter into the presence of the Lord, whom the Lord welcomes into his worship. By extension, we may say, He welcomes into his heaven the true tabernacle. Are you this person? Are you this person? Look at 5C. He who does these things will never be shaken. He who does these things will never be shaken. My friends, there is a promise given to us here. The individual who is this way, who does these things, will never be shaken. He shall not be moved ever. That is, they will be unmoved. They will be secure. They don't need to be and aren't afraid in times of uncertainty nor in the face of death because they are righteous. This individual, he alone, may abide in the presence of the Lord. There is no need to be afraid of being uh, consumed in the presence of the Lord. Again, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 43. Sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock, his bread will be given him, his water will be sure. Again, are you this person? Is this you? Are you a person of integrity, a person of obedience to God's word, who loves the truth, who speaks the truth, who doesn't slander nor enjoy seeing others hurt by words or actions, even your enemies, who you look for some fault and hold it over them? You love righteousness and hate evil? You make a promise, you swear an oath, you keep it. Husbands and wives, you fight for each other. Church members, you fight to obey what you've promised. This is one who doesn't take advantage of a brother or sister when they are down and doesn't pervert justice. Ask yourself this Is this you? I've read this psalm how many times in my life? How many times have I read it in the midst of this sermon? Is this you? Now you might be asking Are you serious? Who can deliver on such a tall order? Friends, you understand, though. I've, I've read you just the scriptures. I haven't quoted some mysterious, um, you know, fantasy writer or anything like this. The people of Israel stood at Mount Sinai, and they trembled. Uzzah reached back and touched that ark to steady it. Look what a great guy I am, and he struck dead immediately. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. And we don't just march in to the glories of heaven and say, God, I'm here. He's a consuming fire. And David says, this is the man who abides in the tent, the tabernacle of the Lord. This is the one who may dwell on his holy hill. My friends, the hardest thing to, in the world to do is to deal honestly with ourselves. I heard that there's another uh, pandemic being planned. I don't know what to think of these things. I know there's terrible sickness that's going around. And if there was ever a weekend I think about death, it's been this weekend between our sister Joyce and our sister Barbara. But the reality is, my friends, that if a virus doesn't get you, something else will. And I fear that many, many people in the Lord's Church are deluding themselves, thinking that they are good and that they can come into the presence of a holy God and be just fine because you're better than most other people. And that's just not going to cut it. It doesn't cut it. That's why I say we need to take personal inventory the new morality all being authentic and being true to yourself having your own truth your immoralities that you embrace that are readily acceptable the new mores that everyone <coughs> touts as being great all these values of the wicked a rebellious world they are truly a stench in the nostrils of a holy God and no one who embraces these things will ever enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul, you can read it for yourself, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Good is not good enough to be in God's presence. You must be righteous. And you cannot deliver on this infinitely high standard. And no one can. Not a one of us can even come close to meeting this standard. We need another. We need a Savior. Perhaps this is why we need to talk about sin. My hope is is that you go away going, so that when you hear the name Jesus Christ, you go, ah because that's exactly why he came he came into the world to save sinners he came to do what he what we have failed to do he came to be for us what we could not be he is the only way that you can come into the presence of god even the psalmist these things are absolutely true the question is who may abide in your tent o lord who may dwell on your holy hill this, he is exactly right. He is telling the exact truth. So go and do it and you will live. Thank you for laughing. That's how ridiculous it is. Go and do it and you will live. The only way that we can come into the presence of the Lord and abide in his tent and dwell on his holy hill is because of Jesus Christ Christ. The only way we can remain with God and not be utterly consumed is through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. To impute, very simple, means to credit. It's the only way for the sinner to stand in the presence of the most lovely, most blessed and holy God uh, is to have the righteousness of Christ credited to us. To have his righteousness become our righteousness. To have the sinless Son of God take our place on Calvary's cross, to have the sinless Son of God to walk the roads, dusty roads of Palestine, to obey the Father in all the ways that we have failed. I get the credit for doing and being of who he is and all that he has done and this is not just a reformed doctrine that somebody invented in the 15 and 1600s. It's the scriptures. God made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5:21, Romans 4, 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Romans 8, 5, 8, and 9. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. My friends, only in Christ can I come into God's presence and dwell forever, and there is no other way. And friends, in case you're saying that it doesn't matter how you live, understand the Bible also teaches that it is only in Christ that these things will begin to be formed in you and me. David's telling the absolute truth here. And we know we have no other hope than Jesus Christ. But we know that in Jesus Christ, these things will begin to be formed in us. And the God who begins the work is the one who completes the work in us until the day of glory, until the day of Christ. We can't do these things on our own. Even if we lived a lifetime of righteousness, that one sin is enough to keep us and separate us from God for all eternity. Christ came to do what was impossible for you. Place your faith in him. Turn from your confidence in your own flesh. Place your faith in Christ and you will never be shaken, whether you live or die. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for um, this truth. We recognize that you are a God of exacting, holy character. A God who will not clear the guilty. A God who is not going to be anyone's buddy. But a God so perfect and holy in all your ways, all your deeds. A God so merciful and kind that you would sacrifice your son for us. We ask, O Lord, that while we look at this standard and we see in this word, your truth, we ask, O Lord, that we would not try to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps to make ourselves worthwhile, but that we would flee to Christ, who alone makes us ready and fit for heaven. Would you come and work in us these things, and would you bring about that fruit That the justification we have in Christ, the holiness that is ours presently in Christ, would become the holiness in practice as well. We come to you again confessing our own weakness, but thanking you for your kindness to us. Have your way with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.